standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here, and welcome to this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. We've got a bit of a treat for you this week. Now, I don't like to have favourites in terms of interviews, because I think it's a bit like kids, you're not really supposed to, but... I'm going to confess that this is a bit of a favourite. This week we're speaking to author and performer A.L. Kennedy about her new book, The Little Snake, which is just a really, really lovely, wonderful book. You're going to hear all about it now, so I won't bang on too much. But we also talk about politics, about the state of the nation, about the art of storytelling, and about weird things to do in someone's back garden. More on that later. I think you'll be able to tell when you listen to it that we all had a very, very lovely time chatting to Alison. Just a little heads up, when we recorded it, we had intended to put it out earlier in the week, but we had such a lovely time, we thought we'd treat you to the full interview as a Sunday Chops. So when we're banging on about how the book's published tomorrow, in fact, it was published on the 8th of November. It's all yours. You can go and buy it right now. Just a quick bit of admin before I let you dig into your chops. Next week's podzine is something a bit different in that we're going to talk to some men. I know. Since it's International Men's Day, we thought, why don't we let the dudes have a chat for a while? So we're all talking to some different guys about gender inequality issues that affect men because guys gender inequality is shit for everyone as we know also on that note we've got a show coming up on the 20th of november in which we're also letting some men talk yeah i know but those men are fortunately richard herring colin jackson david morrissey and as we've just announced in the last week david flipping mitchell that's right David Mitchell, of That Mitchell and Webb Look, of Peep Show, of Upstart Crow, of all the things. Check out our page on Sarah's website for more information on the lineup and how to get tickets. And that's at www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. And for now, I shall jog on and let you dig into your Sunday chops. Enjoy. We're joined by writer and performer and apparently the eater of 500 cupcakes, A.L. <laughs> uh, uh, Kennedy, on the eve of the publication of her at least 18th book. We're not entirely sure how many uh, there have actually been. Apparently it could be... Could, could be 20-something. Don't know. Can't remember. Don't know. Can't remember, which is it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I used to check the front of the book, but because the grown-up books only list the grown-up books and there are children's books... It's complicated. <laughs> this book, The Little Snake, is published tomorrow. Yay! And it is a very lovely book. Can you tell us a bit about it, please? Two years ago, I think, a guy who used to edit me in Germany, who's called Hans Koch. Good name. <laughs> of course he was. End of interview. We're done here. This is amazing. <laughs> and who looks like Roger Waters, so just imagine. Um, <laughs> so he said for the anniversary, I think the 75th or 70th anniversary of The Little Prince coming out, we published The Little Prince, so we want to do some stories in the manner of The Little Prince. Would you like to do an in the manner of The Little Prince story? And I said, yeah. So, yeah, I ended up doing this fable about a little snake who's sort of the personification of death, as it turns out. And you're thinking, hmm, this is for young people. I mean, when we did the, the tour in Germany, 50% of the audience has just wept helplessly. I mean, they kind of seem to quite like weeping helplessly. But uh, <laughs> the snake meets a little girl and they kind of get chatting. And people can't normally see the snake unless he's about to make them dead. And he's never really had a chat before. 
and he gets more and more involved in what humans are and he has a few more chats and meanwhile Mary's as many people are in a society that's just completely falling in half and then then there's some kind of civil war or something so she has to kind of get on the move and the snake sort of helps her to survive that experience of moving by just saying look you know it's my job to kill people um, because that's kind of my thing but basically human beings kind of do it a lot on my behalf so I'd steer clear of them if you see a person (laughs) run up a tree just hide (laughs) those things are crazy and manages to get her to somewhere that's safe so it's sort of about your life I mean she always wanted to be an adventurer and to be to have an exciting life and to have boots and things um, so she turns out to be an explorer, but in not quite the way she expected. So it's about, yeah, it's about that experience, which has been so many people's experience. It's kind of forever. I mean, World War Two, millions of people moved to different places. So all of the nonsense about Britain for the British is like, do you know all of the hundreds of thousands of people who came from somewhere else? I think 600,000 Polish people alone. We didn't have any. We so many people died. We just got filled up with other places. Germany got filled up with people who weren't from Germany. It was just like musical chairs. Nobody's from anywhere, really, unless you want to say we're all from Africa, because that's true. But beyond that, there's nobody who's pure anything. Well, it's funny you say that, because we were on the uh, People's Vote March uh, recently. Uh, Is there any particular reason why you wanted to write about this subject now? I suppose it's it feels a bit more of a campaigny book than it did when I was writing it. I mean, I just kind of let it go where it was going to go. But I don't have any children. I have godchildren. You're kind of thinking, well, OK, if I had a sort of fundamental principle talking to a small female person what would they talk about and what's the sort of thing you never want to happen to a child but that does and that it's your duty to make it happen as little as possible which would be that you lose your home and you lose your parents and stuff does not go well for you so it ended up being a book about that and it's in the air I mean you just turn the telly on and people are in hell or, you know, I didn't walk here, I, I got driven, but I, you can't walk anywhere in London without passing somebody who's lost everything, potentially really quite quickly because of universal credit being designed to kill you. Oh, God, it's awful. Mm. And those people we know, because we know a little bit more than one person a day who's homeless dies, you're walking past people that if you don't help them, they might be dead tomorrow. And that's not where I grew up. That's not what I grew up with. That used to be if I went to India, that was what I saw. And we didn't have to be that way, because we've got money. We were a first world country. We volunteered to not be, and Mm -hmm. we're about to volunteer to really die in large numbers and to have food rationing and for people to go to the wall. And we got through the food rationing and the hardship of World War II by clubbing together. And all of the forces are about being apart. Not the forces coming from the people, you know, because people are marching and people are getting it. And I hate the word, but, I mean, inter- intersectionality is being understood. You go on any march now and everybody's there because we've all worked out. They're kind of they're trying to kill all of us. So. <laughs> We'd better just yeah. hold hands. You know, it's like all of that thing of, oh, there are centrist Labour Party people on the march for Europe. It's like, I don't care. If I'm swimming towards a lifeboat and Chucker Amuna is in it, I'm still going to get in because it's still a lifeboat <laughs> and the ship has sunk. I probably won't talk to him a lot. So. Yeah. 
I'm not going to not get in and I'm not going to not believe in the principle of having a lifeboat. I mean, we saw him the other day and what I will say about him is he's got lovely skin. <laughs> he does. He's a really lovely nice sort of skin. gleam too. Mm. I actually posted on Facebook that I had interviewed Anna Subri and I did get people saying, oh, mm. you know what her voting record is? And I mm. said, on mm. this, quite frankly, I couldn't care mm. less. On this subject, I am with her and when we get yeah. through this, then we'll talk about some about the other stuff. Then. Even yeah. a broken clock is, is yeah. right twice a day and this is their moment. I had understood that the book was for children, but that's not the case. It's it's sort of for everyone. Pretty yeah. I mean, you you would read it in different ways. I mean, I did before I wrote uh, I wrote it read the Little Prince again, and something that was slightly too artistic for me as a child. I didn't you know it was okay, but it wasn't my favourite children's book. And it was you know it could be a children's book, but reading it as an adult is just like evisceratingly sad it's so heartbreaking because um, it's about being a grown-up and everything comes to an end and you're not that little tiny person and if you'd known what you know now when you were the tiny person things would have been easier and all of that so it's hopefully it's trying to be a book that's about multiple different things from multiple different yeah ages of people yeah Hello, Hannah here, constant interrupter. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. There's a line in it that sort of resonated with me a bit because I watched this film the other day, The Hate You Give, which was based on a a young adult book, and it made me think about, because the central characters are kids, and it made me think about this at the time, And there's a line in your book that says about how kids understand adults better than adults understand kids, even though adults have already been kids. Which is the paradoxical thing. And if you say that to to kids, they go, yeah, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Why don't they? And the whole thing of realising that adults are just tall children and the ones that are okay and trustworthy remember that. And the ones who are just faking it massively, they're putting so much energy into pretending they know what the hell's going on that they're not much use because that takes so much energy. What do you think we can learn from kids at this point in history? Well, it's all the sort of blindingly obvious stuff um, that other people have said better than me. But, I mean, nobody gets born hating people. It, yeah. it really is a, a learnt thing. People hate being in pain or being uncomfortable or or, or being made sad but they don't automatically... You have to train somebody to be screwed up in that way. They don't come into the world with hate. They're very delicate. Adults pretend that they're not, and they don't necessarily remember to be delicate with each other, although we're all just tall children. So there's a lot of reaction, a lot of the rage now. I mean, if you meet somebody individually who is raging, it's generally because they're terrified, and there's no addressing of the terror. There's actually a news cycle which is about, here are the people who are going to murder you today, and it's bullshit. But, you know, no-go areas. Where? Exactly. Take me to one. You mean areas where you might see faces that are a little bit more different to yours than when you look in the mirror if you still can and there isn't Satan looking out of your face? Um, (laughs) It is a a worry. (laughs) You You know, all of that stuff and this curiosity and... But again, it it depends very quickly on how, how people are being brought up and what the school is like. And so many parents are under pressure now, marriages are dissolving, or if your mother's running away because your father's trying to kill her, that you haven't got anywhere to go anymore, so you're going to be at best growing up in a B&B. 
all of that stuff, and schools don't necessarily have the time. But some of them do. And I mean, going and doing, because I'm now a properly children's book author as well, you know, you go into schools, and I mean, some of them are not doing well, but the ones that are, it's, you know, I went into one last week and the staff said, well, we bought 30 books and we're going to do a lucky dip and people who get their name out of the hat will get a free book that you will sign for them. And this one little girl, she was saying, nothing as good as this has ever happened in my life. (laughs) Which is sort of fantastic, but is also sort of crap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because loads of things that were better than that. Only, you know, unless you're really into books and all, you know, I I would have loved to have a book signed by an author when I was little. So, you know, everybody's trying to help, but it's tough. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot there that's about, can you remember when you weren't carrying around that much anger and fear? when you were just kind of finding out about things and being in your own skin. My nephew was an avid reader. He always had a book, even to the degree that he had books that, that were in different rooms. This is the book I'm reading <laughs> in on the toilet. This is the book I'm reading in my bed. A really avid reader. That has stopped since he got iPad. Yeah. He can't be the only child that's happening to what are reading levels amongst children like? How is new technology affecting them? Do you, do you know, when you go into schools, do you see? Oh, Is there shoot. like a drop-off point at which kids stop mm. being so enthused by books? I don't know. There is drop-off point with boys. Boys don't turn into men who read. The majority, I think it's like 80% of books are bought by women. Guys don't read fiction when they're grown up. By the t- if you can get through adolescence as a male person and still be reading, you're, you're very unusual. So it may actually be that thing happening. The new technology, I genuinely don't know. There's all this stuff about, oh, people have no attention span because we've decided that doing... We're going to classify everything that you do online as a different thing, so they're doing lots of different things. And maybe in their head they're doing the same thing, which is doing things online. And in their head it's not compartmentalised that way. I mean, the idea that evolution has suddenly made us unable to concentrate in effectively a generation is just not biologically likely so a lot of it's like ah they've turned the scrolls into pages people will die (laughs) you know it's just new stuff so i don't know because on the one hand the better you can write and the better you can use language your presence online is is apart from photographs of you with your cat or eating food a lot of stuff online is about being able to use language and about being mocked for not having grammar and not being able to spell and so there's quite a high pressure to be good at language the education system doesn't have time or money or stuff that aren't being tormented and these poor kids i mean i'll go into schools and because of the SAT bullshit, you'll sort of say, what would we put into the story if, you know, I'll read my story and stop at a point and say, OK, if this had happened, what would you do next? Because I know what I've done. But, you know, that's only because I've written the story down. Before you write them down, they wriggle around. And you'll get kids going, there would be adjectives, there would be capital letters. And it's like there's a, an awareness of structure that they've had to learn mm. or they'll fail at a ridiculously early it's age. It's such a young age that they're getting taught mm. that stuff by rote and it mm. kills imagination. If you're not careful, I mean, if you've got a good teacher, they can defend you from the bollocks of it. But Feel free to swear as much as you like. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I have had two weeks of children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's completely 
ridiculous. And it's so recent in human history that people have been writing stuff down anyway. You used to have to hire me. You'd be sitting in the banqueting hall and I'd be doing yata ta 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 and playing my lutes and it would be rhyming and I'd have memorised it because I couldn't read either and some old weird man with a beard around another campfire would have taught it to me. Sounds great. Where's this on? You know, this is called <laughs> Chaucerian England. So, you know, it's it's not long since you could actually get away from the physical presence of the writer. Yeah. You, you, you kind of had to hire us and feed us before. So this is much more convenient. But, you know, it's a skill set that's still fluctuating and still developing. But it's a very musical, natural thing to human beings. And people know... Because, like, you t- you go into Glasgow on a Saturday night and you're doing stand-up to a Saturday night Glasgow audience at the stand, for example. If you or anybody else does a description that's melodically reasonable and beautiful and insane in the wording and that comes to a climax, you get a round of applause for something that is not a joke. It's just a description. Because people like what that does to them. It makes them feel nice. And that's what you're doing. And all of the bullshit that's coming from English literature is just the catalogue copy for the auction when you try and sell this crap. But people know how it works. You don't have to know that what you're using is a sympathetic fallacy because fuck it. (laughs) As long as you know how to operate it, whoever you're saying it to, if you're doing it right, will go, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. It rains when you're sad. (laughs) <laughs> but Pauline McLean said that in the interview that you did with her that she believes the reason that Irish people are good storytellers mm. is because they had such a high level of illiteracy for such a long period that they had to become good at telling. And yeah. when she, when I listened to that, I was like, suddenly it became clear. My great-grandparents signed an X on the birth certificates Mine of my too. grandparents. Mine too. Yeah. And my family are amazing storytellers. And I yeah, thought, yeah. it's clearly, it's that. It's genetic. If you wanted to get information across, yeah. you had to say it. And yeah. therefore you had yeah, to learn yeah, to be yeah. clear and funny and entertaining in what you said. You can get really confused. I mean, I, I see, like, postgraduate people who are, who are doing MAs in, in literature in various places. And they've gone through the English literature thing and they've jumped through the hoops that are the English literature kind of shape. But the idea that you tell a story because you're full of what that story has to say and what it's about and who it's about and that that's what makes you run into a room and say, you know, a dog was cut in half by this sheet of plate glass that blew off a building. And, ah, look, I'm I'm still covered in dog blood. All of my examples are always like that. I've I've always, for 30 years, I've had complaints from people going, your examples that just come to mind immediately are bloody horrifying. (laughs) Never about pixies, unless they're pixies uh-huh. who are disemboweling people. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you come in with something that's really happened or a way of talking about something that's really real that burns inside you and makes you say it. And that's, that makes writing much easier. But if you've had all of this lit crit post-fact analysis, which even people who do that professionally will tell you, oh my God, it drives us crazy, we've got to use this vocabulary that doesn't mean anything, it's become so attenuated, it's this coral reef of analysis because you've got to say something new about Shakespeare and there's fucking nothing to say (laughs) other than he wasn't Shakespeare because we've got some kind of bee in our bonnets that a working class-ish person couldn't make up stuff. And he lived with actors and he worked with those guys and he knew what they sounded like how tough would it be you know it just turned out that he wasn't a member of the aristocracy because they were all semi-literate anyway as well Jesus 
Hello, Mickey here, interrupting again, but to tell you how you can find out more about us. And that is if you want to follow us on Twitter. Standard Issue is at Standard Issue UK. I'm at Mixter Noonan. Hannah is at That Dunleavy. And Jen is at Inspire Jen. And you can find out more about our views, opinions and general nonsense if you follow us over there. Look forward to having a natter. So you've written a little bit about Doctor Who. I, I wrote a Doctor Who book because uh, they finally let me. I, I was once at a party, I don't go to this kind of party very much, but with Mark Gatiss in it, and he took one look at me. <laughs> and I knew he was Mark Gatiss, but shit, I'm me, so how would he know who I am? And I, and I sort of went, yay, you're Mark Gatiss, woo. And he said, do you want to write for Doctor Who, don't you? <laughs> so everybody knows. I was also at a party with Stephen Moffat, and he looked so terrified that I didn't just didn't go near him. <laughs> because I think he thought I would attack him and ask That's him. It's like you guys and Idris Elba. But the world, you know, you, there is a whole world which is where Doctor Who went when it wasn't on telly which is Doctor Who in books and then you can pick a historic Doctor and I did the fourth Doctor because he was kind of my age appropriate Doctor and it's a blast you just get up every morning and try and solve the problem you gave yourself the night before So as a fan Mm. how do you feel about the most recent incarnation I am finding it very groovy. I was alarmed in case she had to become a male impersonator because you never know and historically they're not always wonderful at writing women, which technically she is now, uh, except she's from Gallifrey, so what the hell. But no, it's really cool. And I mean, the Rosa Parks name knocked her out of the room. That was like, wow, it's about something made me cry it keeps making me cry and I don't quite know why and I don't care which which kind of means it's working because if it just suddenly <laughs> makes me go oh, ah! oh I wish I'd been younger and that had happened to me but she she did it really you know she's inhabiting it I don't know if I I just have an aversion to cut off trousers uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Halfway up your shin. I know it's the thing to do. I know people are wandering around in suits. With it's been very hot. They do allow a nice <sighs> breeze. No well, and as I can say, you know, it's very easy to fall down the stairs in full length trousers, <laughs> as I as I did the other day. Well, I can fall down everywhere, but no, I send photographs of shins to my gentleman of choice to say, "Oh, for God, look, look at that! Look how can they?" <laughs> no, 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 no. Gentleman but, of choice is the best <laughs> descriptor. <laughs> That is my gentleman of choice. But then, uh, I mean, the John Pertwee doctor, I hated everything he wore. He was still the doctor and I was cool with it. So, you know, but it's uh, it's 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 working. The other the other woman in it is a little bit not there. But I was discussing this with the man in the deli, who's another Hoovian. But hopefully she'll come through. But yeah, it's got to be there because it's it's the opposite of question time. <laughs> 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 it's the bit of the BBC that people uh, find makes them like people again. Uh, the rest of it just makes you want to run up that tree. Yeah. Yeah. Make advisors. The rest of it is, hey, everybody, and this is all about, no, don't shoot people, and maybe our long-term survival will rely upon us not hating each other and just getting it together, because otherwise in 20 years' time, we're going to be on fire. <laughs> <laughs> would that not be pressing? There's going to be the on fire bits and the bits that are under fucking water. 
<laughs> and it won't be that they cancel each other out. It'll be like when you're on the Northern Line and a bit of it is on fire and another bit is flooded because that can happen and you just you don't go anywhere. It's not that the water puts the fire out. Somehow that never happens. I don't want this interview to ever end, <laughs> but sadly it must. Uh, if anyone, if people can't see Alison anymore, it's because we've kidnapped her and kept her forever. Um, it would be cool. Alison, your book, The Little Snake, mm-hmm. is published tomorrow. Very pretty, sparkly, gold, got embossing it's and lovely. gold foil. Yeah. And I assume it is available at all good bookshops? It's available all over everywhere. Um, we're doing some events, I will say, from doing events in Germany last year. 50% of the time, about half the audience weeps uncontrollably, which I've <laughs> not ever had. And one time the woman reading the German version also, she kind of stopped reading and I looked up and she was going, and I had to give her a hug as uh, she just collapsed into a heap. Because um, so, it is about death, basically. And I mean, that's one of the other German voices. Her she had a very young daughter, but her young daughter's father, her husband, had died. And she said, I'm actually I'm going to buy this book to give it to her because it's an explanation of people leave which I hadn't thought but it is it's it's a book that um, I hopefully does not become a bestseller because loads of people have lost their parents but it is sort of about people go and maybe they do sit with a little golden snake who talks to them for a bit and then they just go God, I hope so you know I think that would be cool I did finish it and a hu- I went for a walk and where I lived there are lots of slow worms which are sort of bit, the big old females are like brass they're very oh, metallic. Cat used to bring them in all the time. Yeah, and you'd have to get rid of them. Well, it, the, big, the big old ones—they basically look like golden snakes. And I was walking along, and there's a big one basking on the path, and it's like, "Don't kill me yet!" <laughs> I know I just finished the book, and technically, it's kind of there's a sense of completion. But please, <laughs> I have other ideas. So that was cool. Where can we find you on uh, social media? Behind you, oh, no. <laughs> um, either in your garden. <laughs> licking your cat or the only social destroyed Jen <laughs> we've lost Jen <laughs> the only social media I do because everybody is very civilised on my Twitter feed is Twitter and I'm on Twitter at uh, at writer so it's capital, capital W and then writer and then an extra ER I think we might have to get you back to find out how you get people to be civil to you on, social, <laughs> on Twitter because that's mute, uh... immediate mute <laughs> Immediate muting. No, they're very, they're very, very uh, lovely people. And I mean, you know, the principal use of Twitter is if you're on tour and you can say, "I'm in Hull. Where should I? Where would I get a good cheese sandwich?" And the immediate response is usually, "Fuck off! I don't like your opinion." For no reason. No, No? because you muted them. Oh, okay. No, I have no. You know, I'll do one. What? And then that's it. You muted Uh, my mute list is. Thousands of us, <laughs> right? On that bombshell. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, this was an absolute joy. Standard issue for all women.